welcome to another episode of the Following Films podcast. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today I'm joined by director Sean O'Reilly to discuss his latest film, Heroes of the Golden Masks. The film features Patton Oswalt, Ron Perlman, and in his final performance, the late Christopher Plummer. Inspired by ancient bronze masks discovered on an archaeological site in the late 80s, director Sean O'Reilly's adventure pack animated treat centers on Charlie, a wise-cracking, homeless American orphan who is magically transported to an ancient Chinese kingdom where a colorful team of superheroes need his help to defend the city from a brutal conqueror. Charlie joins the heroes and secretly schemes to steal the priceless golden masks that grant them their powers. But before we dive into our conversation with Sean, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your kids, horror, art house, drama, comedy, whatever it happens to be, film collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. Have you followed the Following Films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify, search for Following Films, and give us a follow. It really does help the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sean about Heroes of the Golden Mast. The film is currently on VOD. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. So thank you for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you might notice I have my son sitting next to me right here. Amazing. Because uh, a lot of times when we go through films like this, I think we look at it through the wrong lens. Um, sure. And so I thought it was really important to watch this with my son because I wanted to get his feedback and watch it through his eyes a little bit. And so if it's okay with you, he had uh, the first question. He just wanted to throw that out to you. Oh, I love this. Uh, it's great. Okay, cool. Go ahead, Jakey. Jakey, this is Sean. Sean, this is Jacob. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Good. Good. So when I be start with my question, how long did it make to make the movie in total? Great question. Uh, it was almost four years. Uh, animation takes a very long time. This one, uh, it was an idea by Brian and Jim. And so they went to China to see a lost city called Sangshundui. And so from that point of coming up with the idea, it's kind of like Machu Picchu or Chichen Itza. Uh, Sangshundui was found a couple decades ago. It's thousands of years old, ancient city. And then true story, inside Sangshundui, there are these masks. And then Brian and Jim thought, what if those masks had superpowers? And the story kind of went from there and, and production went from there. It's officially a Canadian-Chinese co-production. That's great. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Say, say thank you, Jake. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. You just wanted to come in and ask the one question. So oh, I love that. It's great. lunch now. But um, the, getting back to sort of that initial point, though, was the idea of when we watch something like this and opening up your eyes to what it's like to see this through a kid's eyes. And when you look sure. over and see how engaged they are, I think that this movie absolutely works. This is something that for the target audience, this is something that just absolutely nails it. And then when I'm watching this through my point of view as a parent, I get to hear these wonderful voices that I've known for my entire life. I start picking them off and, uh, you know, to hear 
somebody like Pat Oswalt come up and then you are able to tell him, oh, that's the guy from Minecraft that you might remember that did this oh. voice here. And it's just funny to see all these different entry points. So to him, he's that guy from Minecraft and Heroes of the Golden Masks. No, nothing else goes with it. Ron Perlman. This is Ron Perlman to him now at this point in time. Oh, just, that's awesome. Which is just kind of fun to see. So um, talk a little bit about the casting. How'd you get uh, this uh, real murderer's row put together? Yeah, so I ended up, um, the uh, casting is really hard. So back in the day, I cast Christopher Plummer as the Pixie King. Uh, that was exceptionally hard at the time. And he's like, us Canadians have to stick together. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, every time you, you kind of give an offer to a manager or an agent, the first question they ask, well, who else is in it? And so for me, uh, Christopher Plummer was kind of casting bait. When you say Oscar Award winner, uh, winner Christopher Plummer is in it, all of a sudden it's like, you know, okay, I'm interested. And the manager cares, uh, the agents like it. And so Christopher Plummer was the first one in the pool because I had directed him six, seven times. Then Ron Perlman. And also, you know, now we got a pretty good cast. And then Patton Oswalt joined the crew. And it was like, oh, boy, this is a solid cast. I'm really happy. Yeah, and it, and it's... um it's something that isn't, it doesn't feel stunt casting because you're using their performances to the characters that it does feel character driven, that they're not just, I'm putting in this voice so that I can get people to watch this. It does feel like they're, they're casted appropriately. Well, thank you. And and one of the things I try and always do is use natural voice casting. So uh, funny enough, Christopher Plummer, this one did not. It's the only time I've ever directed (laughs) him. He's a guy named Rizzo. And so I've directed him like seven times. And so on this one, I mean, the first thing, he's a consummate professional. He comes in, he's almost off script. And in animation, because you're in a recording studio, you need to be, right? You can kind of just cold breathe. And so, but he came in, he's like, oh, I love this. And this line here, and I want to do this. He's like, what if I try this voice? And he does it. I'm like, oh, 100%. We, I love that. Let's do that. Um, But I think when you get natural voice, to me, it feels a little bit more mm, acting kind of, and then the, the people can bring something to it. And I'm also very flexible. So like, you know, if they want to say something different or change the way, cause it doesn't feel authentic. Uh, I love it when they go, well, can I try this? Please do. And, and half the time, like patent stuff, like we leave it in and it's just amazing. Cause he's ad living. And it, it, I think that it's this, and I could be wrong on this, but there's something when people are using their natural voice, it gives it a feeling that's almost more lived in totally. uh, where it feels natural, which there's uh, animation and any film on its own is there's that extra distance from reality. Then you're watching a movie. So there's a distance there, but if you have the voice acting where it does feel as natural as possible, I think that is something that does give it that more, uh, you know, it seems ridiculous to in a film like this, saying, but oh. yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but then talk a little bit about the, idea of this story of the the reluctant hero in this fantasy world pulling in um you know this kind of it's a we've seen versions of this in the past never exactly like this though and i think this is a really wonderful film for a kid to see because you know my seven-year-old's never really seen this tale specifically obviously or probably too many versions of this but we've definitely seen the reluctant hero story before yeah thank you um so yeah, the, the reluctant hero, Charlie, I mean, kind of like Harry Potter, the, the wand chooses the user, yeah. the user does not choose the wand. And so in this case, you know, we had a kid kind of down on his luck um, on the streets, orphan, and he was able to, you know, kind of survive on his own, but with some 
sketchy Rizzo-like partners and, and associates. Uh, and then the mask chooses him. And uh, it's kind of the, you know, the, the Cinderella tale a bit. It's like this downtrodden person, all of a sudden, you're the chosen one, Harry or Anakin or whoever's the chosen one. In this case, it's Charlie. And um, yeah, for me, I wanted Charlie to come from a really sarcastic, snitty, yet witty place. So every, he's just cracking jokes. Like he's a joke yeah. machine. I don't know if you've ever had friends like that where it's like they just continually give you a little crack and they're very funny, but you just don't really know that much about them. Other than, and so the idea was start a Charlie off there, funny, quick, witty, but then we slowly start to make him a little bit more, you know, approachable, personable, a little less jokes. Defenses are down, so that that was the goal. And, and I think it works. It it absolutely works. And it's the and there's something else in this that is unlike those other films that you were mentioning with Star Wars and Harry Potter, Harry Potter, that there's been this thing that as a dad that's always kind of bothered me with those. I never thought of it as a kid, but it's that element of birthright that this is something that was preordained that happened before you. This is something just because of your bloodline that you will have this thing. And it didn't feel that way here where this does feel like this was just, this is the person I guess, I guess it is to some degree because the way the face was formed in that, but it's also, it felt that there was just one person. This was who that person was going to be. And it didn't feel like it was just the, the, the right to the throne in a way, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for part of it, like it's a golden mask. So, you know, I don't want to do spoilers, but you know, Charlie, Charlie's homeless. And so like when yeah. he sees the golden mask, he's thinking gold and then the, the mask and the powers behind it are so much more, I don't know, valuable uh, intrinsically, maybe not monetarily uh, than what they can do. So, you know, that that's got to be Charlie's kind of arc coming through it. And, you know, that, that's got to be his, his understanding of, you know, money and power and, and, and relationships and family. Ultimately it's about family. And there's, there's also the element of what, again, not getting into the spoiler elements of this, but it is that idea of the life that you've lived that even with adversities you may have had, they're actually preparing you for something in the future, which is something that's happening with his character. And it's it it's just even these, it's never on a soapbox, it's never preachy, but all of that is there just under the surface. And I really do appreciate that about this film, that it's something that's deeply entertaining for a kid, but it's something that I think they could go back to five, 10 years from now and rewatch it and be like, oh, there was actually these elements here that I completely missed when I was a child. So I, I do like that when I personally, as an adult, when I can go back and reseat, when I revisit things and there's just whole other messages that maybe I missed completely as a kid. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. The, the ones I, I, as a director, so I believe Heroes of Gold Mask, my 10th animated feature film. Uh, we're in production of our 11th Ultra Duck right now. But what I'm always trying to do is I love starting hard and fast now, yeah. kind of like Indiana Jones. Um, like, you know, most Indiana Jones, he's wrapping up his previous adventure and then we watch his, his new one. So I, I do love that. And I do the same with masks. And so for me, the opening, I, I just, what our animation directors were able to pull off Skylar and Sean. Um, I loved it. So that's really cool. Yeah. I, and I'm assuming, I have no idea. I don't know what this cost, but uh, animation on a budget can't, that can't be an easy proposition. Something that's easy to pull off. Um, 
to get this cast and everything else, I think you are probably punching above your weight class with this as far as how good the film looks and the people that are involved in this and how this film feels overall. But could you talk a little bit about doing something that is just a really expensive and complicated undertaking and doing this on a limited budget? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. We, we always think with the end in mind, obviously the end is into money and a budget. And so one of the things <laughs> I always try and do is, you know, I always say once the, once the triggers pulled, the bullet has left the chamber. Yeah. Uh, and recently the woman, sadly, who saved Pixar uh, Toy Story 2, did you read yeah. this? She got laid off. And so, um, you know, very, and I'm going a little bit down a path here, but uh, during Toy Story 2, someone did maintenance. They lost 95% of the movie. She was on maternity leave. She had a copy at home. Uh, Toy Story 2 was saved, period. Yay. She gets laid off. Sad. But then they actually, at the end of the article, they're like, oh, they already, they redid the entire movie anyway. Um, and like, for me, I was kind of like, whoa, that's uh, one little sentence there. And I know the same thing happened with the original Toy Story. I think they called it Black Monday. And it was like, this is no good. And they basically redid everything. With us, we do not have the budget to just hit reset and start again. Um, once a decision is made anywhere from story, we can, we, we're, we're lucid. But when it comes like character design, set design, because everything's iterative. So you start with a concept of the character. Then you do usually a Z brush. Then you do the geo. Then you do the texturing. Then you do the uh, Yeti for the the hair and the um, you know the fur and, and everything yeah. else and cloth, and, and then you have to rig it. So I mean, you're using five different departments for one character. If you're like, oh, I don't know, man, I I, I think we got to make his his you know skull longer. We we got to make him kind of thinner. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Like I, I can't like that. No. So with us, we have, we're very confident. Um, and so we kind of pull the trigger and, and we go with it. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, has helped us do things on a budget and, and do things smart and timely. And yeah, because it's not something that you can do a show me three versions of it and I'll pick which totally. one I like the best, which is sort of a, I need to see it moving before I can commit to something that, that exactly. kind of thing, which you, you just absolutely can't do. But there's, there's things that come across, I think when you make Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookmans. I'm joined today by my son, Jacob. Jacob, say hello to the people. Oh, there you go. You're already on it. So, Jacob, when you go to Bookmans, what is it that you like to look at? What do you like to get? To get toys uh, and movies and, and the coffee news. You like to look at the movies and you like to get the coffee news, the newspaper they have out front? That's yes. great. So, last time we went into Bookmans, I picked up a movie. Um, what movie did I get, Jacob? Escape from New York, but that's the name as it hurts of the, uh, ex, uh, as the cover. Sorry, sorry. I so, no, no, you're okay. Would you talk a little bit about what you see on the cover of Escape from New York on this Blu-ray that I got? So, based on this cover, you see grass shattered and also the Statue of Liberty's face fell apart because... In this movie, Escape from New York, is the introduction is a man trying to save the president's daughter, and New York turns 
into a poison in this movie and there's the hero as you can see very strong in fact oh yeah now this is one of my favorite movies i love this movie now you're too young to watch it because you're only six years old but do you think in a couple years from now when you get a little bit older you'll want to check out escape from new york yes okay what's a movie that you've seen that we picked up at bookman's that you like come here talk so that people can hear you uh little shop of horrors little shop of horrors that's a great movie so when you're going to Bookman's, you can get movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, 4K, Laserdisc, VHS. You can also get comic books, books, newspapers, magazines, home furnishings. Uh, you can get tons of stuff there. Because remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Yay, that was a good idea. Decisions like that, you you're innovative and you have to be creative and you have to kind of have your back against the wall. You can't get everything that you want necessarily because it's, it's just time in the end, I guess is probably the most expensive thing here. It's just the man hours that you have to pay for. So you have to figure where you can trim and where you can kind of make it work. And I think you, you put it into the right places here. Well, thank you. And then the other thing we always do from the beginning is, you know, optimization. So there's about 110,000 frames in an animated feature film, usually there's about, we do four to eight passes, depending on it. Each pass can take anywhere from 10 minutes to four hours. So you got, let's call it half a million passes. Let's call it two hours per pass. You have a million hours of rendering. Oh my God. And, and that's with zero errors. I mean, at the beginning, when you're first doing it, there's, if you get like 20% success rate, that's probably high near the end. Yeah. You should hit, let's call it nineties plus, but at the beginning it's like, Oh, this reference isn't right. This looks weird. Or I don't know. Like you, you start to like, once you start rendering, you start seeing all the, all the errors. <laughs> and so you try and get through them as quick as possible. So with your background, did you come up through hand-drawn animation? Did you come up through computer animation? Where was your how did your training come about for this? This is not a normal director's skill set. Yeah. So I, well, I started as a comic book lover. Um, I love the Transformers comic book way in, back in the day. And that was a gateway comic, which <laughs> led to uh, Secret Wars, uh, X-Men, Spider-Man, Marvel team up. And so I was an avid comic book collector for years, long boxes, uh, acid, you know, acid-free backboards, bags. Got to be bagged thing. and boarded. Absolutely. Always. I, I, I had little things. And I'd use the computer, know what issues I have. And uh, and then I, I got into comic books. Arcana Studios started as a comic book publisher in 2003. And then um, I printed one issue, got my money back, did a second, a third. We've printed over 300 graphic novel and comic series now. And the process is actually quite similar to animation. So on Pixies, that was my first animated feature. And so you have your script, you know, comic script, movie script, similar enough. You then go to pencils, kind of the same as either storyboards or comic book panels. Nothing's really changed. Sure. Then, um, you know, it's, that's where it starts. The, the CGI, the computer generated imagery starts to kick in. Characters, Gary Ewan is our amazing character designer. He's been with the with the company since 2009. Uh, so he's our lead character designer. He does his stuff. We create sets. And then we start going to um, blocking. And then animation, fine animation. And that part's obviously different than, than the comic book. 
But, you know, that's kind of the pre-production. Then in comics, you go to inks and colors. Well, once we've done that, and inks is kind of locking down your pencils. And, and with us, fine animation is kind of locking down your pencil storyboards. And then you go to colors, which we call our LRC pipeline, which is lighting, rendering, compositing. So, I mean, overall, the broad level, it is very similar. And the ultimate part is, is you know, a lot of technical employees we have um, that really make it all work. And a lot of stuff I don't even, I don't know. So <laughs> I leave it to their capable hands. Fair enough. Do you, I was reading a book by, by an editor um, earlier this year, and he was talking about working with Brad Bird uh, yep. when he was doing his first live action feature. And that it was this language communication at first, because Brad Bird, he edited frame by frame. So wow. he would want to go back because that's just how he came up. So he would think yep. about things by the frame, not really by the moment or the beat or by the scene. He would constructing, deconstruct things down to that granular of a level. Are you somebody that goes down frame by frame when you're looking at material. Okay. There's uh, my old CG supervisor. I uh, used to call it, uh, let's call it pixel fidgeting. <laughs> Except he didn't use the F word in fidgeting, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> and so one of the things uh, I loved hearing, so Clint Eastwood, I believe is directing what he has said will be his final movie he's directing. Mm-hmm. I read an article interview on him where you know, you can go frame by frame and get super like that. What he does is he watches his movie in the theater, sits back and just kind of appreciates it. And if it doesn't really catch his eye as the director in the theater, he doesn't believe it'll necessarily catch the eye of the, you know, moviegoer in the theater. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere between the two. I actually, so a lot of times what happens, we use Discord. The, the sure. yeah. So we use Discord as our internal communication tool and so our lrc team will post a single image and they're like hey can you give notes on it i'm like i hate giving notes on one image because i kind of do want to see a shot like animations moving images so if i look at one image yeah i can pick apart any pixel or any one little thing but like unless i'm actually fluidly watching it i find it way harder and i don't even like giving notes because there's times i've given notes on an image but they really don't apply when you actually watch the shot, you know what I mean? You lose context. Yeah. hundred percent. So for me, I really do, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a frame guy. I'm more of a, more of a shot guy, I would say. Right. And then obviously the shots, if you put them in the right order, it starts to hopefully evoke an emotion. So yeah, I'm more like we break ours down into sequences. That makes sense. So Ultra duck right now. We have 15 sequences. Each sequence is approximately five to six minutes. Some are like nine minutes, others are one. So it kind of depends what's happening in the plot. But um, I I prefer viewing things by sequence, to be honest. That's how we've done it internally. Well, I I couldn't have, that's how I think about things. And when I go back and I look at something, it is by the scene, it's by the sequence, it's by that, because the individual moment, the individual beat, you have to think about it in the context of that whole scene. And then in the scene, in the context of the entire film and how do all of those things play together. And if you get that detailed and that kind of granular in it, I think it's the forest for the trees where you, you know, you really can't see it anymore after, to me, at least some people's minds, I'm sure they work that way. Yeah. Um, you know, Brad Bird seems to know what he's doing, but if oh, no, I love Brad Bird, I actually met him uh, in 2008. Uh, he was, what did I watch? I think he, we were talking about the Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Oh, Iron Giant. He had Every a special, time. yeah, he had Every a special Iron Giant showing. Yeah. So good, man. It was so good. 
And and so I got to see him on stage, and there's people that brought up like Family Dog. I don't know if you know that little thing. I do. I remember that short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they they brought it up to him, and he's loving it. And so I, I talked to him. I'm like, I love The Incredibles. Um, really reminded me of Fantastic Four. And all of a sudden, he's like, Tell me more. Yeah. And then because like, if you think about it, like, there's clearly a lot of you know, you got Elastigirl, Mr. Fantastic. You got yeah. um, can't remember her name, Violet, and Invisible Woman, and you know, it's it's not the same, but it's kind of similar. You got Thing and Mr. Incredible and Human Torch and, and Dash are a little different. But uh, well, by the time you get to the baby in the second one, it, right? you end up with a Human Torch element. So, well, it's funny. The baby, even if you go to the Fantastic Four baby, Franklin Richards, he kind of does it all anyway. And the That's baby, right. Jack does it all. <laughs> I got it. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. right. That actually kind of funny. lines up even better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, side thought completely maybe close the loop on the side tangent. You know, if you think about Vin Diesel, his two best performances are essentially one word performances. <laughs> Personally, which is yeah, which is uh that iron giant, just the one, the two word sure. at the end that kills me, man. It's great, it's absolutely perfect. And then it's yeah. just how you can play those things out. But yeah, just a uh, any chance I can get to geek out over Iron Giant, I will take oh, that. I love it because yeah pretty much a flawless movie, but yeah. with yours, you're coming out. You're, or you're just, you came out this week. So how's yeah, that today? Going? Yeah. Literally today. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting. Like, like, you know, we talked at the beginning four years, it took a long <laughs> time to get here, boy. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's also one of those things like I've now seen parts of the movie, literally thousands of times, like actually <laughs> thousands of times. And so you're kind of like, you know, Oh, Hey, it's out today. Should I watch it? I probably should. Uh, my twin, we have twin girls. They have a lacrosse tournament today. So they won their first game last night. They have two games today. And I'm nice. like, I should probably watch masks today, but at the same time, I've also seen it a lot uh, as a director and you're just kind of, and it's weird because you kind of get all meta on it. Like it's like looking at a photograph and while you can appreciate the image, sometimes you're like, oh, my gosh, right after that photograph, uh, we got into a car accident or, or my mom fell down the stairs. Or, yep. Like it's like it's not on the picture, but you remember that moment in time and all the things associated. So when I'm watching the movie, I'm looking at a shot. I'm like, oh, man, we had an arm wrestle. And now it looks great now yeah. but to get there. I remember the battle to get there sometimes more than the end product. <laughs> oh, I, I, it's the. 100% agree with you. Understand that. And it's why I can't edit. It's because I cannot divorce myself from the process of creating. I can't forget about what happened that day when we were making that shot. I can't forget oh, about the thing that it was supposed to be that it landed on. And in fact, I can't get it around my head, the information that I know. And I, what does the audience know at this point? It's difficult for me. Okay. We can trim back on this, but do I trim back on the point to where they actually don't know what the hell's going on at this point? And so right, that's right. I, fresh eyes fresh eyes are so important. Totally, right? Some people can do that. I don't know how they do it. I can't go clean. It's stuff. hard. It's really hard. But I, I mean, just four years, that's a, it's a hell of a ride putting your baby out in the world now. And I think this is going to be one of those ones that people are going to find. They're going to enjoy this because this is something that I could sit down and watch this with my son. I don't know if you can hear it in the background. He's actually watching it right now as oh, we awesome. for the second time. So yeah, if anything, that, that's a seal of approval. You got one seven-year-old that really digs the movie at the very least. I appreciate so. that. Thank you. That's awesome. So um, what are you going to do this weekend to celebrate just out of curiosity? Yeah. So we have a, a party thing Saturday night with, uh, for a friend. 
Uh, then lots of lacrosse. We have two lacrosse games <laughs> today with my twins, two on Saturday. And then we hope there's more on Sunday, depending how they do in the tournament. And then I also play hockey myself. So I have a hockey game tonight. So kind of a uh, sports-like weekend with a party in the middle. <laughs> or ice or roller. Yeah, ice. Ice. So I, play, I play on two. I'm on summer league right now. So I play on two summer teams and two uh, fall winter teams. It, by far my favorite sport to watch live hockey. I live in Tucson, Arizona. So about as oh, yeah, far yeah. from hockey country as you could really get yeah. <laughs> at this point, you know, being like 60 miles from Mexico. But sure. I, I am so impressed by skating. Anybody that can do that, anybody can just go around a rink. I don't get it. I can't get my head around it so that you can do that with a puck and a stick and make something happen. That's not completely embarrassing. Hats off to you, man. That's, that's oh, well, thank a special you. skill set. I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Sean, it was a pleasure to meet you and good luck. Great to you. Really thank you. It, man. Thank you. Awesome. Happy Friday. <laughs> thank you, brother. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck, give me hope.
Voice Crack.